Welcome to episode 138 of The Digital Life, a show about our adventures in the world of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me are director Johan Sonnen and designer Beth Herlin, both from Involution Studios. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks, John. It's great to be here. Likewise. All right. So for our podcast topic uh, this week, we're going to chat a little bit about digital healthcare services in 2016 and beyond. And if you like what we have to say on this topic, we encourage you to check out our accompanying piece on Mobi Health News. That's M-O-B-I-H-E-A-L-T-H-N-E-W-S dot com. So check out our piece there. It's uh, getting lots of shares, so uh, people seem to be responding to it. So let's dive in uh, now to digital healthcare services in 2016 and beyond. So we're going to start off with medication adherence getting a boost from sensor tech. So we all know that everything is getting miniaturized and that sensors are becoming ubiquitous and they're making it their way into all sorts of tracking uh, devices and uh, into our phones. And so this is going to impact digital health in, uh, in a major way, and we think some of this is going to be coming along in, in 2016. Now, adherence, of course, uh, is extremely difficult to get people to take their meds on a, on a regular basis. And so uh, uh, let me direct this uh, question to you, Beth. How, how is sensor technology going to make adherence uh, uh, any easier for folks? So uh, a big problem with medication adherence is is actually tracking to see uh, if, if patients are taking their medication. They don't want to also have to fat finger in, yes, I took it this day. No, I didn't take it this day. So any type of automatic or ambient sensor uh, that can kind of register whether or not that pill has been taken or that you know treatment has been done can drastically reduce the workload of, of patients. So solving this, uh, this problem of, of adherence could have you know, a, a major effect on the cost of healthcare because uh, as, as we know, adherence is an extremely expensive problem if people can't keep to their, uh, their medications. And you know, more or less, it's you know, the equivalent of them uh, not taking them or you know, not taking them properly, uh, which you know, just causes uh, all sorts of difficulties down the line. So one of our uh, uh, things that we're, that we're looking at is the idea of self-reporting. Beth, could you tell me a little bit more about uh, self-reporting as it relates to adherence and, uh, and, and how sensor technology can sort of help with that? Essentially, sensor technology can almost eliminate the need for self-reporting. So a service... For instance, that might have a sensor on uh, the pill bottle uh, can register whether or not that pill has been taken. So there is no need for the patient to report. You remove that um, subjectivity of of the patient maybe you know lying or something like that, or maybe uh, mixing up which medication was actually taken. Uh, so it, it leads to higher accuracy and less workload for the patient. All right. So for our second digital service for 2016, uh, this is a, a favorite of mine, is the conversational user interface we think is going to be embedded into more uh, healthcare-related applications. And, you know, this is, of course, driven by advances in voice recognition 
and our artificial intelligence. I'll, I'll put this question to you, Yuhan. How do you see conversational interfaces uh, becoming more of a part of mHealth in 2016? Well, for the history of medicine, it has usually been a one-way, con- a one-way conversation, which is really not a conversation. It's been a one-way mode of communication where there's been a little tidbit about what the patient is doing, and the rest of the time is the doctor or the nurse or someone else telling them what to do. And even in the software today, uh, it's still much of the same ilk. It's the one-way mode of communication where I'm being told what the problem is or what the research is or what to do next. And now what you're seeing slowly come in is a two-way, three-way, N-way kind of conversation with you and the machine, with Dr. Watson in the loop, with you talking to that service, with you talking to your doctor back and forth. So these automated services more and more are going to actually behave like what we're doing here today with you and Beth and with me, where we're talking in concert and there is an an evolving conversation with it. And so that should also feel very natural, just like maybe my conversation here is not very natural, but uh, it should be with a machine or with other services is that I have a question and it engages me like another human would. And I think this is sort of a key to how you get people interested uh, and engaged is it's not doesn't feel like something where I'm in a Unix prompt and guessing uh, like Zork, uh, go west, and then there's a response maybe. This is a much more dynamic experience and more human for that matter. All right. So for number three of our trends to to watch, we have analytics for patients and clinicians, not just payers anymore. So what we mean by that is, of course, the uh, patient-centered metrics, which uh, payers have had access to in in sort of big enterprise-grade software systems where they could slice and dice the the data and see, you know, what patients were costing them lots of money and and what outcomes were uh, unsatisfactory, et cetera, et cetera. And and these systems have been uh, part of health IT for for some time now, and of course they've been enhanced over time with uh, nice visualizations and and uh, different ways of looking at the information. But this year, we think that healthcare analytics is going to expand, uh, and and we're going to see more on the patient side as well. Beth, could you talk to me a little bit about how you see this happening and what the importance is of being able to analyze uh, both your short and long-term health analytics? Yeah, so I think one of the the biggest problems with we, we hear this term big data a lot. Everyone's you know has a, a Fitbit or some kind of activity tracker that's providing massive amounts of data all the time, and it's it's not really clear exactly what we're supposed to do with that information yet. Once we're able to start predicting what this data means for you in the future, we can start having a much more engaging interaction with patients. Uh, we can evolve that into a unified health score for a patient, uh, not just a singular patient, but maybe start to to compare how, how those health scores are happening across different interventions for both a single patient and an entire population of people. Terrific. So, so does this mean that I'm going to be able to start, uh, you know, looking at my data and and uh, there's going to be some software that's going to give me uh, recommendations about what I should be doing next. Right. So uh, having that data and providing insights 
then allows you to start giving recommendations for uh, exactly what actions should be taken to, you know, either confirm that that positive future or prevent that negative future from happening. And there's this idea that uh, in the financial world of risk scoring, right? We've had this for some time about, well, how are you going to qualify for a mortgage? How does a bank know they do a financial risk analysis uh, on you as a United Statesian, right? It's been around for a long, long time, mostly because we care more about finances than anything else in our world. Uh, but now the insurance, the health insurance uh, mafias have have had a long time, for a long time, had these kind of s- similar scores where they score how people are going to do in the future based on their demographics or phenotypes, all these other kind of data points. But so that's what they've been using to dole out healthcare or to uh, charge you for healthcare uh, and how to look at risks and how to look at predictive risk. So that needs to shift and will shift onto the patient side. I want to be able to get get the same FICO score uh, and the same one for my health. So I can start to see, well, what do I need to evolve? How do I need to change my behavior? So I think that's coming for patients ASAP. So our fourth trend uh, for digital health services is disease detection on your smartphone. Now, that's a, uh, that's a tall order, Yuhan. How, how is that going to work? Well, I've got already a few years ago, I remember seeing a demo uh, from another MIT or, and they showed how you could listen to someone's voice uh, you know as they talked into their phone over the uh, course of days months and years and listen to the tremors in their voice to detect disease so one uh, big one is parkinson's how can you listen to the vocal cord changes the physical changes to your muscles there uh, be able to see and hear that in advance so we as you know we get very used to our voice and very used to how we operate and don't notice these very small subtle changes yet that's what machines are very very good at and that is just one example of how we're going to be doing detection on the disease level uh, with the phone whether that may change that may translate into gait and gait analysis it may listen to other parts of our uh, vocalizing or lack of vocalizing uh, change in vocabulary maybe it becomes much more stagnant these are things that are just beginning to mature or at least get to a place where they'll be able to u- be used for diagnostics all right so for Item number five, Beth, I, I know this is a topic area that you've spent uh, an inordinate amount of time <laughs> researching uh, in, in your day-to-day work. Digital care planning uh, and, and getting better patient outcomes in a tech-driven world. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about how you see care planning shaping up in 2016? Sure. So uh, the main problem with care planning right now is that a lot of us go into a doctor's office, we tell them what's wrong with us, and they say, okay, do these things. Uh, And then we leave the office usually very empty-handed and with a lack of understanding of what exactly they told us to do. So having a digital form of whatever the care plan is that our clinicians are, you know, creating and architecting for us can help better implement that plan in our lives. So typical care plans consist of some kind of health history, um, your health uh, concerns or problems, 
goals, interventions, and instructions, and then your the review of all of that plus your your, your care team that's going to help carry that out. And so having uh, some kind of service that can keep track of those goals that you set with your doctor um, and help implement, you know, the whether it's through reminders or through delivering, maybe it's digital cognitive behavioral therapy, it's actually delivering treatment via the phone um, and then tracking your progress towards those goals according to the interventions that are taking place. Uh, we can really start to get a better idea of of how people are doing uh, within their care plan and help evolve it over time and adjust it until it works for them. All right. So service number six, uh, this goes to you, Yuhan, computable records and the next generation of the EMR conversation. So, so tell me, what is a computable record and how does that differ from what we have today? Well, for those of us who visit the doctor on the rare occasion or uh, once a year, twice a year, whatever your frequency is, you will most likely have a record with that clinic, with that hospital system in an electronic healthcare system, right? Usually owned by that particular hospital. And most often when you try to go somewhere else, I go to a different hospital system, they will have no understanding, no record uh, and no history, and I have to fill the same damn paperwork out, paperwork notice, uh, again and again and again, depending on where my promiscuous health uh, encounters are. So uh, the, the sad thing is that uh, 2016 will most likely uh, not see a huge spike in uh, medical record interoperability, the ability to go from one hospital to another or to one service to another, to be able to share my records beautifully. However, we are seeing uh, several good things on the horizon. And one of them is the Argonauts Project, um, where it's a consortium of institutions, some big and some uh, very big, that are rallying behind the FIRE, F-H-I-R, schema. And that is one hope that we can have, is that while it's not... Uh, the, the best of schemas, the data schemas, uh, it's better than nothing, it's better than CCD. And that, for me, is one hope or one signal flare for goodness. Uh, the, the ultimate thing that I would like is that I want to be able to, one, have a record that I own, that I control, uh, two, that I'm able to sort of dish it out to whoever wants access and to be able to proxy my data or parts of my data to whatever entity or service, digital service, wants it. And I really, it should be treated almost like a, a Git repo, right? If you're on GitHub, I can... Uh, uh, allow people access to it. I can people can branch or fork it, uh, and then I can actually have it come back into um, my baseline. All right, and so I'd like it to act much like our our Git, GitHub accounts now. Uh, and then also the final thing is really uh, the record itself really should have some kind of flag or a series of flags to say how complete am I? How do I know this is a good record? Right now, again, we have no clue in terms of our own data how, fill, how, how filled up in, mm -hmm. in good ways it is. So I think these are, there are multiple things happening here, and this is more of a stretch goal for right. 2016. Yeah, you're, you're probably more aware of how complete your LinkedIn profile is than your, <laughs> your medical record. So 
this uh, this next trend uh, will will go to you, Beth. Um, and wanted to talk with you a little bit about patient engagement uh, and how you see that becoming part of uh, M Health and and why patient engagement uh, is so important. So part of the making that digital care plan really work for the patient is having a really engaging piece of software to, to facilitate it or implement it. I think the a really important part of that engagement is that it's contextual. Maybe it's, you know, you enter a grocery store and the the service and your care plan knows that you are hypertensive and it recommends what foods, what brands, what, uh, you know, where uh, geographically and in a grocery store to to kind of direct your shopping endeavors uh, to to facilitate the the right you know exercise or the, I'm sorry the right nutrition plan uh, for getting your blood pressure levels down. So it's all about knowing where you are, what you're doing, um, and how to to use that context to the advantage of your health. And the fact that we carry our smartphones with us everywhere, it's the most ideal tool to do that. So I've seen uh, in your presentations before, Beth, that uh, uh, you know 99% of uh, care is is self care, and uh, uh, the the patient engagement part of this is is so critical because if you think about the medical community providing that other one percent of the uh, you know of your health care, uh, and then you've got you know the 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 grand large majority of your time you're you're on your own uh, it, it really seems to me that that um, patient engagement is going to be a, a pivotal part of you know making healthcare work uh, you know in in the United States in 2016 and and going forward so for our final digital healthcare trend for 2016 and beyond uh, we're going to talk a little bit about virtual helpers uh, that digital health companion in your in your pocket, we're calling it. Beth, could you uh, sort of lay the groundwork for that? What's what's a digital helper? So when we talk about digital helpers, we're usually referring to some kind of artificial intelligence, um, something that we can interact with in a very human way using natural speech, ideally uh, to you know get information, uh, complete tasks, whatever it is that needs to be done. So. To be clear, this is, uh, you know, what we have already. Uh, if you've got an iPhone and you're talking to uh, Siri, this is this is what we mean by virtual helper. So how does that uh, service translate into the M Health realm? How does the digital helper uh, facilitate uh, uh, health for uh, for patients? I think it can have a variety of impacts. Um and a lot of them we've talked about so far in this in this piece, it can be things like uh, making sure that you're taking your medication. So it's providing some kind of very human reminder. So that would help with medication adherence. But um, something else might be more like providing education uh, that's relevant to you at a certain time or place. Um, it might even help convey information that's relevant to you, like, say, if you're asthmatic and the pollen count is, you know, fairly high uh, today. It might kind of either verbally let you know that or through some kind of ambient measure uh, convey that information to you without really uh, being obtrusive in your in your life. Terrific. That sounds uh, 
sounds like that would be extremely helpful to me uh, during the during the pollen season. <laughs> so I'll look forward to uh, uh, to some of those services booting up. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to the digitallife.com. That's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening, or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at goinvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Just a reminder, if you liked what you heard today, you can check out the uh, piece online at mobihealthnews.com and look for digital health services in 2016 and beyond. So that's it for episode 138 of The Digital Life. I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.